Now through July 20th, join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month. And feel spectacular in the judgment-free zone with the most energy you've had since kindergarten when we had daily naps. Exactly. And in our clean and spacious clubs with tons of equipment, you'll feel confident. Like after I've carried in all the groceries in one trip. More like, wait, that's exactly what it feels like. Join at planetfitness.com or in club. $1 down, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Hurry. Deal ends July 20th. See club for details. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our regular co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment. We're hoping she breaks free, and if so, we'll bring her on while the program is in progress. In the meantime, we will press on and welcome a very special guest, Melanie Bishop, an author, a writer, a lecturer. And I read an article that she had written in Next Avenue, which really piqued my curiosity about her experience taking the virtual dementia tour how that happened, why that happened, and we're going to talk with her about that. Melanie has published several nonfiction books or pieces in the New York Times, in their Modern Love column, in Family Circle, in, as I said, Next Avenue, in Carmel Magazine, in the Huffington Post. She's written as well fiction and a whole lot more. She's faculty emeritus at Prescott College, where she taught creative writing and literature for some 22 years. She was founder and editor of Alligator Juniper, the college's award-winning national literary magazine. And we're delighted to welcome Melanie Bishop on board on Caregiver SOS On Air. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're, you're talking with one of the last few remaining English majors uh, who, <laughs> who actually found gainful employment. And I gather you spent a lot of time studying English as well. Yeah. What was it about your experience working hospice and your experience with your mom who had dementia uh, that motivated you to try that virtual dementia tour. Tell us about that. Well, as a hospice volunteer, I think we were required to take two trainings a year and they offered at least one a month. So, you know, you could pick and choose what you were interested in. And they sent out a you know, an announcement about something called the virtual dementia tour. And I thought, what, you know, what is this? And then it's, you know, out of curiosity, I signed up because I could not imagine how anyone could simulate accurately an experience of dementia, you know, especially those of us who have never been there. Um, Who came up with this? How does it work? And I, I, I signed up out of curiosity, just thinking, you know, no way. How is this going to work? And your interest in dementia came from both your mother's experiences and your work in hospice? Yes. Um, mostly my experience with my mom, because, you know, she had pretty advanced dementia for nine years before she died. And for her last year of her life, she lived in my town in an assisted living um, so I had a lot of contact with her during that time. Um, 
you know, saw her usually twice a week and talked to her almost every day. Um, so yeah, dementia had become, you know, a big interest of mine even long after her death. Um, and then I did have patients who I worked with in hospice who I was assigned to who had advanced Alzheimer's. And when you worked with someone with advanced Alzheimer's in hospice, did they have cognizance of, of where they were, what they were doing, what was happening to them? No, the people who I worked with in hospice, um, well, one was was a similar sort of dementia to my mother, um, where she did, you know, she was aware of her surroundings and um, could have a, a very sensical conversation but she didn't have much short-term memory. So when I would visit her, she never remembered that I had visited her before. Um, but then one of my patients that I only was uh, able to help her for about three days before she died, um, but her Alzheimer's was, you know, end stage. And, you know, she was just terrified, um, on and off weeping. Um, you know, it was very sad. How did you deal with the emotional trauma of being a hospice caregiver? For those of us who've had no experience with hospice, it would seem to me it's really depressing caring for somebody who you know will be dying soon. Yeah, I didn't, I did not feel that way. I, I get why somebody would feel that way or would want to avoid it. Um, I had just become very interested in hospice ever since my father died as a hospice patient um, in 98 and just love all of the philosophy of hospice of letting people die with dignity. And I always intended to give back to hospice, but I was full-time professor and just didn't really have time. So once I retired, I knew I was going to do that. Um, I didn't find it depressing. Um, you know, my desire was to help and to try to offer comfort, however temporary, and especially when you realize people have almost no short-term memory, that even if you do offer comfort, they don't remember that you did, and they don't see you the next time as, oh, this is the woman I like. So you kind of have to let go of any ego around helping and just be willing to be in the moment and try to be uh, a comforting presence. Let me take just a moment to let folks who may have just joined us know that you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest today is Melanie Bishop. She is a writer and author, a former professor at Prescott College. And we're talking with her about her experiences, not only in hospice, but we're going to find out more about her taking the virtual dementia tour. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So it's a pleasure for me to talk uh, just you and me with Melanie Bishop. And, and Melanie, uh, take us now to that time when you're about to take that virtual dementia tour. What, what were your expectations? How did they prepare you for it? Uh, they, there was no preparation, really. You know, we were just told to arrive um, in a staggered schedule. So everybody, you know, I think I would arrive with three other people and then 10 minutes later, three people would arrive so that they were managing the flow through the experience. And we weren't 
prepped, really. We were just, you know, first given a questionnaire um, that basically assessed our cognitive um, abilities and just asked if we had, you know, memory issues or had we been searching for things in the last 15 minutes? Had we um, been pacing? Um, you know, experience great anxiety, different questions like that, all of which I answered no to. And then they took us off and one by one, we were given this equipment and then led into a room. What was the equipment? The equipment was pretty amazing because this was my, you know, my doubts and my skepticism going in were, you know, how could you effectively simulate dementia? One, Taking someone who doesn't have dementia give you the experience of having it. Yeah. Yeah. And what would, you know, what would that look like? Um, so the equipment, basically each piece of equipment tampers with or hampers one of your senses. So there were sort of these big glasses that simulate macular degeneration. Um, there was a headset and a little, you know, the woman who started me off put a little thing in my pocket that was um, the soundtrack for my headset. And that was all you could hear was this sort of cacophony. It was random noises, phones ringing, sirens, uh, other conversations. Like it sounded like you were on a party line um, and then static, just all kinds of unpleasant noises. That alone and would drive you crazy. Exactly. And then the worst for me was the insoles. So they say, put these in your shoes, pointy side up. And oh. had I known this, I would have worn socks, right? I had on just little flats, like little, you know, little black wow. flats. And these insoles were... Um, hard plastic. And it was like, you know, sort of like standing on tacks or very short nails. I mean, it didn't cut through the skin, but it was very uncomfortable. And just to stand with your own weight on your feet, it was like wanting to sit down immediately and get the weight off of your feet. Um, and then, you know, you had to walk. So um, that was the most painful and the most, um, you know, pervasive of the accommodations. And then there were gloves you wore and they gave you one glove for your dominant hand, one for your non-dominant hand. And of course they were trying to hamper your dominant hand more. So that glove was very large and awkward. The other one was a little more normal sized glove. Um, so at what and, point did you say to yourself, you know, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> no. I was all in, you know, I was really curious and I was starting to think they were onto something. You know, I think I had gone in really kind of scoffing about the whole training. Um, and then, then you're led into this room and as you're led there, you can't, I could not see, you know, I could see through the very top of very dark glasses, but I couldn't see in front of me. Um, which so I wasn't sure. Degeneration, you yeah, lose sight straight sure. ahead. Exactly. So I could not, I would have bumped into walls. Wow. If I hadn't been, she was holding my arm. 
And then, yeah, you're in a very small room um, that does look a little bit like the size of an assisted living room. And there's another participant who's finishing as you come in. And so you see somebody else bumbling around. Huh. Uh, and then there's an observer in the corner who's part of the staff of the people who provide this training. And that person is just sitting there taking notes. So then, then you know, the, the facilitator just barks out a bunch of instructions that you don't hear because you've got this noise in your headset. And then it was only, you know, halfway through what she was saying that I realized she was talking to me. So I was kind of like, uh, can you repeat? And she said, no. And Hold then that she, thought. I'm going to come right back to you. We're okay. going to pick it up with, she said no, as Melanie Bishop continues on with her virtual dementia tour. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Delighted to have you with us. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We appreciate your staying with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment today. So I am here alone with Melanie Bishop, and I'm alone with her in a little room, like an assisted living room, taking with her her virtual dementia tour. And if you want to read about it, just Google Next Avenue and put in dementia tour, and it will come up. So, Melanie, you've got a headset on playing all kinds of crazy sounds and music and sirens and what have you gloves that don't fit either hand. You have uh, spikes in your shoes to uh, simulate neuropathy, the kind of uh, issues that some people have and someone's barking orders at you that you sort of miss. You say, repeat it. She says, no, then. (laughs) Yeah. So then, you know, I'm accustomed to being, seeing myself as a good student and a good teacher. And so, you know, you typically, we all want to excel or at least, you know, do well. And so it was, that was the first feeling was of, oh no, I I have no idea what she said. I could remember a couple of things um, that were fragmented instructions and, but she was gone and she had taken the other participant out And then it was just me and this observer guy. Um, So I start to do, I think, okay, I remember something about a jacket, put on a jacket. So I went to the closet, found a jacket and put it on. And that was even difficult because of the gloves. So you're trying to fit your big gloved hand into a small sleeve. Um, But I got that done. And then I remembered... um, setting the, the, it was like set the table for four was one of the instructions. And there was, I looked around and, you know, again, I can't really see that well. So you're looking through the top of the glasses, the macular degeneration glasses. 
and there was no table and it was a very small room. Um, the only thing that resembled a table was a um, rolling hospital tray. And so I took that and it did have a plate, a cup and some plastic silverware on it, but, uh, and in the wrong positions or whatever. But I looked around for more because it's like set it for four, but there was obviously no room to put four, even if there had been four plates. So again, this was actually one of the more brilliant aspects of it. I thought later when I was, you know, thinking about it and analyzing it was that the frustration element of dementia was really exercised in that part of it because it was like you knew that you had heard set for four there were not enough dishes and there was not enough space so there's this sense of righteousness that you know you did hear one thing right and that it's not possible what they've told you to do is impossible and then i thought that is probably how people with dementia feel all the time that all tasks are impossible that they're all fragmented instructions that the items needed aren't available and that there's not the right space so yeah i just thought that was particularly uh, complex and really effective do you get angry yeah well, yeah, I mean, I felt really frustrated and um, I kind of was looking to the guy in the corner to commiserate with me. And so, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't really have dementia. I'm thinking that. And so I just want to have a little side conversation with the guy. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I you want to break out of character. Yeah. And I said, so set the table for four. And he was silent. He took notes on what I was saying. And then the other instruction I could partially remember was something with um, replaced batteries. So I saw they had a bedside table and it had some D batteries on it, but there was nothing that would take those batteries there. So that's another time I spoke to him. I said, replace the batteries, but there's, I see batteries, but there's no flashlight here. He was silent. And then the third time I talked to him, I was just kind of anticipating that my five minutes in there was about to be over. And I said, should I take this jacket off for the next person? And he didn't answer me. And then I thought, well, come on, dude. You know, like <laughs> that's a reasonable question. And, you know, you're making me feel completely invisible. And again, I think that that's an accurate feeling for someone right. with dementia. How did it end? It ended when they came in and brought a new person in and they barked instructions at her. And she said, I'm sorry, could you repeat? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then they took me out. And I said, she started collecting all my gear. And I said, good riddance. And she said, well, you were only in there for five minutes. Usually it's 12 or something like that. Um, and she said, it's a large group. So we're having to do a shorter version. Wow. And then, yeah, then they send you to a room where everybody who's already been initiated is sitting and talking. And, um, you know, and then you're just hearing everyone ranting. 
about how horrible it was and how unfair and how invisible, how frustrating. Um, and, you know, just all things that were what I would hear from my mother, you know, um, she was angry most of the time. She was frustrated. She felt things were unfair. She felt I was always moving too fast and speaking too fast. Um, she would always say, slow down. And I was working and in a hurry. Um, I would take her to a hair appointment every week to get her hair washed and fixed. You know, she was a beauty parlor of the beauty parlor era. Yeah, like my mother. Yeah. Like, I don't think she ever washed her own hair. Um, and, you know, so I had to take her to this place and, you know, wait. And then we had a tradition of getting Starbucks afterwards and then take her back. And then I had other things to do. So, you know, I was rushing her. I was always saying, we got to go. You got to move more quickly. Take another step. Because um, she would, you know, she walked with a walker. And, and she just walked very slowly. You know, she would do one step and then she'd kind of stand there for, you know, half a minute or something. So I was often frustrated with, we're never going to get there, you know? <laughs> so, um, but it was very enlightening to go through the, the simulation because it's, it's like you could tell someone that people feel frustrated or they feel isolated or they feel like they don't count anymore, that no one's listening to them or cares what they think or say, but it's completely different to actually be put in that position. Like to have that guy in the corner, ignore you. Um, when you feel like I'm a legitimate human being and I'm asking you a question, you know, why can't you answer me? Perfectly reasonable question. Yeah. And that guy's notes, you know, we each got our notes back. And, you know, mine said something like mumbling to herself, standing in the middle of the room, talking loudly, uh, <laughs> frustrated. It's like, yeah, I was. <laughs> what did you learn about yourself? Uh, I think, well, one thing is just, you know, the sort of type A, be a good student thing. Um, I think it was interesting for a bunch of us who one of the parts of it that made us feel really frustrated and, and sort of ashamed was that we weren't going to do well. Like, even though you knew you were being set up to fail, that that was the whole purpose of the experience. Um, you want to beat the system. You know, it's like, well, I want to be able to do it regardless. Like, I want to be the one who can still do all the tasks or, you know, so that sort of thing of, um, I learned, you know, something about that element of myself. Right. Um, and then, you know, I learned a lot about who I was with my mom. You know, I always thought of myself as incredibly patient and even among some of, uh, my siblings, you know, I was, uh, I thought I was being more patient with her than some of them would be, but I, I guess I learned that what I did, you know, that I failed in that too, you know, that there were so many times that I was rushing 
rushing her, that I wasn't doing what I tried to do later for hospice patients, which was to just be a comfort in the moment. Uh, I don't think I was that for my mom that often because we were always trying to accomplish something and it was always going too slowly. Uh, and she was always grouchy. For those who are listening, uh, who maybe have never done a virtual dimension tour, would you recommend it for others? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone should take it. Huh. You know, it's it's offered a lot for caregivers and people who work in medical facilities. But to me, it seems like something that should just be offered at the public library. It would help anyone understand, you know, someone who runs into someone in the grocery store who's taking too long. It would increase understanding and empathy, which is the goal, I think, of the dementia tour. One of the main goals is to increase empathy and compassion. And it certainly does that because you're not you're not being asked to have empathy and compassion for someone outside of yourself, but you're in the experience. You know, you're immersed in it and you think this is unfair. And then that is way easier to translate into empathy and compassion for someone else. Well, we are flat out of time, Melanie Bishop. I really thank you for coming on. I wanted to find out a little more about the essay you've written, Final Instructions for Princesses, about your mom. And I hope you get it published so I can read it. Oh, thanks. You take care. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Melanie Bishop talking about her experience with a virtual dementia tour. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel on special assignment today. We'll talk with you soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Now through July 20th, join Planet Fitness for $1 down and feel spectacular with tons of equipment in the judgment-free zone. Join at planetfitness.com or in club. $1 down, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Hurry. Deal ends July 20th. See club for details.